Okay, 1st John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1st John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And yesterday afternoon, while going through and working on this, I realized that I would have to say, we'll see how much we get through. First <laughs> John 1 through 4. Uh, we'll see. Depends on how talkative everyone is and um, any questions that may come up. The phrase, once upon a time, brings up a lot of different memories for us, maybe as kids. You know, had the different fairy tales, different stories. And those would be kind of exciting words. It was, you know, like the start of a movie where it says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And everyone in the audience is like, yeah! You know, just <laughs> you get excited about those things. Those exciting words of the adventure that was going to happen, that that door that was opening up to kind of that, that uh, make-believe type of world that uh, kind of helped you forget about everything else that was going on at the time, maybe in your life uh, as a kid. And then all of a sudden, pal, you turn around one day and once upon a time is kind of kid stuff. And it doesn't work. You discover... A lot of different things in life as, as you journey through, right? You discover that life's a battleground, that uh, it's a never-ending set of battles that come at us uh, daily. And, you know, so you go from a playground to a battleground is, is kind of where you go in life. And uh, you want something then that's real. I mean, we hear people say that all of the time, especially now, even in this digital age, where uh, people, rightfully so, got really sick of Zoom and different things like that, because just at the end of the day, it's not the same. It's, it's just not, you know, it's the way I say it, is it's, it's just not being eyeball to eyeball with people and, and doing life together. We want something real, and the search for that something real is not new. It's been going on since the beginning of history. Uh, men uh, have been looking for reality and, and satisfaction, really, then, in a lot of different things. You have wealth, you have thrills, you have conquest, you have power, you have learning, you have different religions that get thrown in there. And uh, wanting something real and finding something real, though, are two different things. And I think that's important to remember. Want, wanting something real and finding something real are two different things. Um, it's kind of like a kid when you would get cotton candy. This is kind of the picture, I think, for that. Uh, you expect to bite into something real, and you end up with a mouthful of nothing. It's, it's kind of like that. Um, people waste years and years and years thinking they're going to get something real and then that they don't. And this is, and, and I'm saying this as an intro to John's epistle here because it deals, as you see in the outline there, with 
he, he's like, hey guys, here's real life. Here's the real life. If you want something real, this is real. And John had discovered the satisfying reality uh, of life. And it's not in things he discovered, as you do in, in a relationship with Christ, you discover that to be satisfied in reality, the reality there is found in a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as Daniel mentioned last week, as he went through the whole letter, it given us that overview. Um, John wastes no time at all telling about, hey, here's the living reality. I mean, he just zips right into it in the first paragraph of his letter, uh, much like he did in his gospel. He just was like, bam, this is real life. This is what it's all about. And as you read these, these verses here, you're going to learn some vital facts about this life that is real. And the first part of it that he gets at is that the, this life is revealed in a certain way, in a certain person. And that's in 1 John 1, 1. And we're going to read it in just a second. But before we do, would someone like to pray for us tonight as we uh, open God's word? Danette. Oh, Holy Spirit, we come to you tonight in great need of understanding of your word. We pray that through the power of your indwelling, that you will reveal to us what is true and what is important to learn, and that it will prepare us for witnessing to others clearly in a way that will be appealing and attractive so that others will want to, to know who you are and that we can develop our relationship with you. Amen. Would someone like to read 1 John 1, 1 through 4 for us? Ron. Christ. 
Amen, right? Amen. Amen. And as you read this letter, you discover that John enjoys using certain words. You already were uh, given one of those words twice in that first section, uh, the word manifest, manifested. Um, and what he's saying there, once again, this is real. This life was not hidden so that we have to search for it and find it. It was manifested. And I think that's interesting. Uh, it's revealed openly. Revealed openly. And if you think about it, if you're God, how would you go about revealing yourself to men? God has revealed himself in creation. But creation alone can never tell the story completely of God's love, right? God revealed himself in his word, the Bible. True, very, very true. But the complete revelation is found in the Son, Jesus. And I think we are reminded of that statement by Jesus himself when he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father in John 14, 9. So Jesus is God's revelation of himself. And we see that very special name right there. Anyone want to throw out what's the special name that's given in verse 1? The last three words of verse 1. Word of life. That's If you notice. And once again, when we're studying everything here, Take time to slow down and look how the typesets done and everything in your in your Bible, because word of life is what? Capitalized. It's capitalized. So that tells you it's name, name of Lord. OK, being used for that. So um, and the same title, as we've talked about before, it opens John's gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the reason that we are given this name is because Jesus is to us what our words are to others our words reveal to others what we think and how we feel Christ reveals to us the mind and heart of God he is the living means of communication between God and men. To know Jesus is to know God. And John makes no mistake in this identification of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of the Father, the Son of God. First John 1 John 1.3 we'll look at in a moment. And John warns us several times in the letter not to listen to false teachers, as Daniel mentioned last week, that tells, they tell lies about Jesus. They tell lies about Jesus. Uh, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? 1 John 2, 22. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the, flesh, in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So this, this letter is about who? It's about Jesus. And our relationship with him and the fact that he is real and he is revealed. And 
I, I think once again we need to painfully make painfully aware that um, if a man is wrong about Jesus, he's wrong about God. I, mean, I think if you want to boil down what John is basically getting at here in the first thing, if you're wrong about Jesus, you're, you're wrong about God. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because Jesus, once again, is the complete revelation of God to men. And we know, you, you all know people that would just completely disagree with that statement, right? Oh, I, I believe in God, but Jesus, good guy, maybe a good spiritual leader. Although, you know, there's plenty of arguments to be made if he's a good guy, a good spiritual leader. And if he says he's God and he's not God, he's not a good guy. <laughs> He'd be a liar. But those that tell us that Jesus was a man, but not God, what would John say to someone who said that? Sheen. What? Okay, yeah, he, I've seen him. <laughs> Wrong. I've seen him. I've seen what he does with, through the, the work of, of the Father. He's seen the miracles. I mean, what did John say about, you know, how much, how many books would be necessary? <laughs> to, all of them. All of them <laughs> to, to capture everything that who he is and what he's done. Uh, you know, that's, that's big. John, John would have no place for any sort of teacher that teaches that. And one of the last things in his letter in 1 John 5, 20, we are in him, uh, we are that in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. Jesus is the true God, eternal life. And false teaching was a serious matter to John that he wrote about it in the second letter too. <clears throat> Warning believers not to invite the false teachers into their homes. And he makes it plain that to deny that Jesus is God is to follow the lie lies of the Antichrist. And this leads to a basic doctrine, really, that kind of has puzzled people for ever. But what doctrine would be the one that kind of starts getting built here? And of course, in many other places in scripture um, that, that trips people up. It's the Trinity. John mentions in his letter, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Someone want to jump to 1 John 4, 2? And read that out loud. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Yeah, I mean, Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 13 through 15. Uh, Verses 13 through 15, they mention the three persons of the Trinity, 
as well there. Uh, the word trinity obviously is a combination of, of tri and meaning three and, and unity meaning one. So the tri unity, the trinity. Um, now, what's, uh, when someone starts fighting you that Jesus is God and, and all of that and uh, is against the trinity, one, what is the, one of the first things they're going to say to you about the trinity? Yeah, Jenny just said it. Go ahead. They're going to say that the word Trinity is not found. Correct. They're they're going to say that it's not found there, but it is definitely taught. Uh, Matthew twenty eight nineteen through twenty, John fourteen sixteen through seventeen, uh, chapter twenty six verse two. Uh, I'm sorry, verse twenty six. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen, Ephesians four four through six. I can go on. Um, and what do the, the Muslims say about Christians? We're polytheists. They say that we worship three gods. Three gods. Okay? And the reason, you know, reason I'm giving you the ammo here is you need to understand where other people are coming from and their understanding of what... God is in Jesus. Because someone that's Muslim is going to say that Jesus was what? A man, but he was also a prophet. But was he God? No. No. He was a prophet. Just a prophet. I was Muslim before. Yeah. So, Go ahead. Yeah. I was Muslim before, and they say if Jesus' name is in Quran. Yeah. And they believe in Jesus, but as a prophet, because, and they say we believe on Jesus as a prophet because he has the Bible. And they know that he born from Mary, the Virgin. So, but they still, but they don't say that, um, uh, the Christian comes from three gods. No. Yeah. Three gods. Yeah. We profess. Yeah. They just say one God is for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hard monotheism. Yeah. So, which which gets down to the the point here that I think every once in a while I think it's good for us to slow down and remember that the Trinity is confusing to people. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and many times we do an awfully poor job explaining it. Um, for example, the egg illustration is actually a, not a good way to explain it. And why would that not be a good way? Does anyone? Parts of the egg are so different. That's not the way God is. They're, they're parts of one thing. Yes, parts. So, and the Trinity is, is not that. The Trinity is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, we don't believe, uh, another thing you'll hear is Christians believe merely that God reveals himself in three different ways. Uh, much as, uh, and I've heard people say, it, well, you know, God reveals, and I, what's funny is I don't think they even realize what they're saying sometimes. 
But God reveals himself in three different ways, much like a husband, a father, and a son. And it's like, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that God is one, but he exists in three persons. And um, I, I love what one guy, one Bible teacher said. He says, try to explain the Trinity and you may lose your mind. <laughs> but try to explain it away and you'll lose your soul. And what does John say, the Apostle John say in 1 John 2, 23? Someone want to read that out loud? Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. No person of the Trinity is expendable. No, no person of the Trinity is expendable. If you don't have... The Holy Spirit, you don't have God. Yes? But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is a definite one-way street to hell, right? Yeah, now we're, we're going to go down a completely different rabbit hole if we want to go down that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now there's, there's many people that believe that uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit right now is technically impossible. Does anyone want to give a reason why people believe that? Yeah. Well, so from the text, it's talking about the Pharisees who attributed Jesus's miracles to Satan, essentially, Beelzebub, yeah. instead of the Holy Spirit. So one view would be that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was or if that's what the Pharisees did. They attributed Jesus' miracles to Satan instead of the Holy Spirit, where basically it's the Pharisees' hearts were so hard that the evidence was right there in front of their face. God was right there, and they still rejected Yeah. So the, the quick answer, Danette, is yes. It is a fast track to fire. <laughs> um, yes? Yeah, I'm just going to add, yeah. What the Pharisees were doing is they were actually calling the Holy Spirit evil when everything the Holy Spirit did was good. He didn't do anything in the miracles he did that were ever could be seen as evil or, or, or deserved that kind of uh, you know, accusation. And that's what made it so bad, I think, even in Jesus' eye, because the Holy Spirit wasn't there to defend himself. He was there to, to testify of Jesus, and they were calling the Holy Spirit evil when they, had, they called him Beelzebub or saying that he was that he was evil. That's what I think that's what the blasphemy is to say the good Holy Spirit was evil even in yeah. doing good. And that was that didn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So but the the going back to the the, the core point is yeah if, if you try to remove or you say any one part of this is bad or evil then you've corrupted the whole thing. And that is not, you can't do that. You can't do that. And um, our finite minds will never understand the mystery of God completely. I mean, God makes that perfectly clear. Your ways are, 
you know, my ways are not your ways, and, and good luck on trying to figure everything out. Uh, we're, we're not going to know how it all works until we are in his presence, uh, glorified and have the full knowledge then of, of the Lord available to us. But what are we called to do? We're called to have faith. We accept the truths found in the word of God, which is definitely the Trinity's there. Uh, even when I can't comprehend them, I trust. And it's not really surprising uh, when you think about it, it's not really surprising. Even, you know, so you get here and you're in verse one and what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, the, I mean, it's not surprising that the infinite God is so complex in his nature that it's really beyond the ability of our minds to comprehend and the 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 trinity is absolutely necessary it's essential to new testament christianity uh i've been around guys that um i remember sitting in a staff meeting one time at church where the senior pastor i worked for at the time popped off just kind of He's like, yeah, you know what? If, if someone comes to our church and doesn't believe in the Trinity, I, I just want to make sure they believe in Jesus. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, this is an essential truth. You can't just be a Jesus-only person. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because theologians have pointed out if that um, the Trinity were not true, and we've already discussed Multiple verses here in First John. Uh, you know, if, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you don't believe in me, you don't believe in, in God. Uh, we've already seen that the Bible then is unreliable and Bible's not true if you don't believe that. Um, because Christ wouldn't be divine then. Uh, his death on the cross would not atone for our sins. Uh, if he was not divine, if he's not uh, part of the Godhead, what is his death then? Is It's simply a death of, of what? A martyr. And that's not who he was and that's not what his death was about. Anyway, let's keep moving on. As you read the gospel records of the life of Jesus, you're going to see just the wonderful kind of life that God wants us to enjoy. Um, he wants us to experience this life, this word of life. And so, and, and that's where he starts jumping into um, this this thought in verse two, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. Um, this wasn't a secondhand religious experience. Okay. Um, it wasn't something that he inherited from someone else. Uh, it wasn't, uh, hey, look, 
I got a used book that you should read. This is uh, John knew Christ face to face. He heard Jesus speak. They, they watched him. He lived with them. You know they studied his every move. You, you know it. You just do. They knew that Jesus was real. They knew that he wasn't a, a, a phantom or a, a vision. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, that word phantom, uh, that reminds me of something that someone said to me recently, but I want to just talk about verse 1 and 2, because I, I was always confused about when it talks about that which we have seen with our eyes, we looked on and touched with our hands, and I said, well, are they talking about him before the resurrection or after the resurrection, or are they talking about both, because it appears that, of course, they saw him in his natural body and then they see him in this spiritual body and yet it is a physical body it's resurrected and they also obviously had contact with him afterwards and they saw he wasn't a phantom he wasn't a ghost even after his resurrection in both sides of the of the cross he was real in both both places and it's interesting that uh, when that last word you use phantom somebody was talking to me about how it was amazing how Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection and disappeared and they thought he was a phantom and I said no that was a real body yeah. you see it was that spiritual body which they couldn't comprehend so what, what's, what's the danger if he was just a spirit wandering around after the resurrection 1 Corinthians 15 no hope for a bodily resurrection for us yes yeah if 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 he didn't do it, then then we don't. Then we're toast. <laughs> to key off of what Ron was saying, another interesting thing that's going on here is the the repeated like emphasis, I guess, on the sensory language, and he he goes through the gamut of you know, well, and, and that's what I really everything that you can you you touch it, you see it. Because it's, it's not just about physical. And I think that's important to read into this. It's not just about physical. What did they also experience with him? Spiritual. Yes. You know, so they got, you know, growing up, it was always about, you know, getting the full meal deal. And, and they got, they experienced all of it. They experienced the physical. They experienced the spiritual. So it's exactly true. And he... You know, and, and you know, some someone from our century may go, yeah, that means John had an advantage. But this is where someone like that's wrong, because the spiritual nearness is still what? It's still there. It's still it's it's still available. Uh, they they experienced something that we experience. Um, they experienced eternal life. They, you know, to to see Christ resurrected is 
to experience, you know, eternal life. Um, and it, it's very important what they experience. Very sensory oriented, like Daniel said there. Six times in the letter, John uses the phrase born of God, born of God. Um, it's not an idea that John alone <laughs> says. Uh, John 3, 3, 6, 7, Jesus says, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That is which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel, not that I said that to thee, you must be born again. Um, so this real life experience, we believe in the gospel. We put our trust in Christ. We're born of God. When we're born of God, what do we experience? Eternal life. You know, that, when, when has eternal life started for us? Yeah, you know, I think sometimes we, we go, eternal life starts when I die. Future. But biblically, when does it start? Yeah, regeneration starts at belief. And so they experienced that, which is the same thing we experience. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Uh, it's not good works. It's not good character. It's belief in Christ. Um, and so he writes, why, why did John write the, his gospel? John chapter 20, verse 31, 32, and you find out. But why did he write his gospel? Someone want to? That believing he may have life in his name. There we go. So there's the purpose statement for his gospel. And what we see here in the first two verses is a continuation of that thought, uh, of that going going on eternal life a life that that's the real life that's the real life that's a gift from god those who trust the son as savior that is the life revealed and he writes the letter to tell people how to receive the life and this first letter to tell people how to be sure you've really been born of god There was a, I was reading a, a commentary on this, and there was a college student that returned to the campus after going home for a family funeral, and almost at once his grades began to go down. Uh, the advisor thought the death of the grandmother had affected the student, and that time would heal the wound, but the grades became worse and worse. And then finally, the student, this guy, confessed the real problem to the advisor. While he was home, he happened to look at his grandmother's old Bible and discovered in the family record that he was adopted. It never had been told that fact. And he started doing a tailspin because in his mind, he's, he was like, I don't know. Who I am. Second class citizen. Yeah, I don't know who I belong to. I don't know where I came from. So 
So why would John be writing this? He's, he's, writing, he's writing this to assure people you are part of the family of God. You've been born of God. You're adopted into his family. You are in an adoption was a huge thing. We've taught that many times there. Um, a person who is, is born of God will then do certain things, as we see here. They'll, they'll live a righteous life. Uh, a child of God uh, w- won't uh, <clears throat> be involved in practicing sin. Um, we won't be, you know, we, we will fight with all of our might to not be in habitual sin, right? Uh, that, that's part of it. God, God's children love each other, the Heavenly Father. First um, John 2 15 and 17, we're going to have, have no love for this world's system. And part of that's because the world hates, hates us. Boy, is that true or what? And the thing to remember once again, thanks, sir, is instead of being overcome by the pressures of the world and swept off balance, What's John reminding us of? Um, we, hey, we're here proclaiming to you guys the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Um, he's saying you need to know this. You need to know this. You need to know that you've been born of God. Now, if we're not born of God, we're, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, we're a child of wrath. So we don't want, we don't want that. Um, child of the devil in 1 John 3. Um, basically a counterfeit person that acts like a person of faith, but has not been born again. Jesus, we talked about the Pharisees earlier. Jesus called the Pharisees that, children of the devil. Um, and what, um, what John's making sure is like, hey guys, let's not be counterfeit. This is the real deal. This is the real uh, eternal life. So on that point, I'm a little bit confused because um, I thought we all born as God children and then as we develop, like the devil, you said that the child, like Hitler, you said, you know, that was a devil, the child of the devil. Is that possible? So you born as a child of a devil, and then you literally don't even have a chance to become a child of God, or you always have that choice or chance eventually to <laughs> become. Um, or are you born as a child of God and then you kind of like just going the side way? Okay, so in what condition are we born? In sin. In sin. In sin. Children of wrath. You're children of wrath. So we start on the bad side. On the bad side. Everyone does. Okay. So, I mean, 
I mean, we, we could go down a lot of the, you know, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. I mean, because that's kind of where we're, where that discussion would take us. But yeah. I was just going to say, considering that we're adopted into God's family, mm -hmm. that suggests that before we, before the adoption, we weren't his children. I would take it a step further and say it doesn't suggest that. That's that explicitly is. what it says. <laughs> what it says. <laughs> so, that's exactly what it says it means. And, and that's a tough one for people to hear. Because, you know, um, one of the things that's, you know, out there that people... We, so we, we try to rationalize away some of the, this type of stuff by saying things like uh, the idea of the age of accountability, for example. Um, does anyone want to share the scripture where the age of accountability is shared in the Bible? There's really not. <laughs> it's a trick question. It's a trick question. Uh, because we're all born, we're all, as, as the next said, we're all born into sin. Um, and even though God created us, yeah, but okay, but we have to reborn to become a child, or really the. Uh, we have to accept Jesus as the Lord, and then be baptized in Him and be raised by Him, raised, raised up from the dead. Yeah. That's, so it's the other way around. Okay. So I I knew we were gonna have fun with this. Yeah. I think contra the notion I mean, you mentioned the age of accountability that's a can of worms that you can yeah. open or not but contra that David Psalm 51 behold I was brought forth in iniquity and then he goes even farther back in sin my mother conceived me so from conception forward we inherit if you want to go theological we inherit the Adamic nature in Adam we all fell. And Psalm 51.5 tells us that that's passed on organically and genetically, person to person, father and mother to children throughout all generations. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah, so, so that's, uh, you know, these are, these were the things going on at that time. And John's saying, hey, don't be a counterfeit. You need to know if you're really if you're really a believer or not. Um, I think another illustration of that would be uh, the idea of, uh, let's say you had a counterfeit $20 bill, and but you thought it was real. And you pay for something at a store. And the person at the store thinks that it's, real and then the person at the store that thinks that it's real uses it to pay his supplier who thinks that it's real and then the supplier then takes a wad of $20 bills to the bank and the machine that's if you've seen the machines in the bank you're and they're, they're reading them all of a sudden a red light will come on and spit one out 
and they'll take a look at it and that person at the bank will all of a sudden say to this person, hey, I'm sorry, but this is counterfeit. And that $20 bill may have done, quote unquote, some good for a while and maybe kind of see where I'm going with this. But when it arrived at the bank, it was exposed as a fraud. And that's the counterfeit believer as well. What did Jesus say? There's going to be many people. Yeah, that are going to say, you know, Lord, Lord, I, I, I did these things for you. I, just, hey, I, I don't know you. You're counterfeit. And how do you know you're a true child of God? Well, you can experience the true life by accepting him as Lord, you know, by believing, you know, accepting him is not the right word. Uh, really, it's believing in him. Um, and we have to understand that eternal life is offered to us. We proclaim this to you going into verse three. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Let me zip through these last two verses here. Um, we declare these things to you. Uh, once you've experienced the real life, the real saving grace of Christ, what is the first thing that you usually do? You tell people. You, you, you tell people about it. Um, you want to share it. Uh, you want to share it. And John, he wanted to declare that to the readers in the first century. He wanted to be a witness as Christ called us to witness. And I, I think that's where sometimes in churches today, um, churches can get real uh, people that are, that go to churches can mistake witnessing as uh, arguing theological points back and forth with other people. But what is John saying? What what is John saying? Proclaiming the gospel is. Yeah, you know, he's. I'm proclaiming Jesus to others, so that they may be in fellowship with me. Um, he's, he's wanting to share that. And we live in a culture, you, you, know, you know you're doing it right in our culture, in some degree, if you get pushback. Um, and did John get pushback? Obviously. Look at letter two and letter three. Um, and, you know, we, we should be wanting to proclaim this real life, this real life experienced is a, is a life that is shared. And you do it in a lot of different ways. And it's really amazing how people respond in different ways to stuff. 
I remember one time um, we we sent out as a church, uh, previous church I was at, we sent out about, I think, 20,000 invite cards to people to uh, come to our Christmas services. And I remember I got a call from this gal. And uh, when I... You know, <laughs> Every once in a while, you get, you get your, your admin person will, will hand the phone to you, basically, and say, uh, you get the special one. <laughs> you know what that means, right? And, and so this person was livid, was just as mad as possible. And I remember her saying very clearly, I received a piece of mail from your church. And I resent you using the U.S. Post Office to disperse your propaganda. <laughs> and I'm like, do you call Papa John's when they send you the coupon? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just, you know, at that point I was like, okay, we're going to have some fun with this. But, <laughs> but the, the point is, is I, I you know, I... If, if I got to the point where I was just, why are you so mad that we invited you to church? And she said, you have no right to tell me to change my religion. And I'm like, no, I'm sharing with you the joy of what Christ has done in our hearts. And we want to share that. She hung up. <laughs> this week I got a text from uh, one of our uh, workers with CEF that was at the fair that night she was there and a, a group of uh, kids came in and um, the mom was already upset that they went in there and the, the kids went in and Ashley started sharing the gospel with the kids and the mom yelled, got up and yelled that so everyone could hear it in the booth and out outside of the booth, you Zionist piece of trash. You're, you know, the kids get out of here, you know, get out of here. And as she said, all the kids started crying. And you, you sit there and you go, how do you respond to that? And you go, you know what? My life has been changed to the degree that I still have to share. I'm still going to share because not everyone's going to accept that. We know it. But I want people to be in fellowship with with us, you know, life's changed by the Lord. I want to be in fellowship. Uh, and as you read this letter, that's what John has in mind. He's telling us that witnessing means sharing uh, God, God, our spiritual experiences uh, in Christ with others. And the reason there's five purposes that he, he shares in verse three. What's the first one? That we may have fellowship. In verse 4, that we may have joy. In chapter 2, verse 1, that we may not sin. 
in chapter 2, verse 26, that we may not be deceived. In chapter 5, verse 13, that we may know we are saved. And so the first two of those, we'll, we'll dive into the other ones over the next few weeks, but the first two of those that we may have fellowship um, simply means we, we, have, we have this one thing in common. As sinners, we have nothing in common with God. But God in his grace sent Christ to have something in common with us. And he took on a human body, became a man, and then he went to the cross, took on that body, the sins of the world, and because he paid the price for our sins, the way is open for God to forgive us and take us into his family. And when we trust Christ, when we believe we are partakers of the divine nature, as it's said in 2 Peter, and the other root word for the word partakers is fellowship in Greek. So Jesus took on himself the nature of man that by faith we may receive the very nature of God. So we have fellowship with him. And we then aren't alone. Uh, you know, how many times do we hear people just say, I, I'm so lonely. You know, I, I just feel alone. And um, all of us want to be wanted. The life that is real helps us to solve that problem. We have genuine fellowship with God. And within the church, that means we have genuine fellowship with, with each other, one another. You know, Jesus said, I am with you always. And John explains the secret of fellowship with God and with other Christians in that this is the first purpose of John's writing of this letter is to share the experience of eternal life. You know, so we have fellowship that in verse four then says, these things we write so that our joy may be complete. So fellowship is Christ's answers to the loneliness of life. We are in fellowship with him. We are in fellowship with uh, the body of Christ. Joy is his answer to the emptiness then, the hollowness that happens in life. Uh, in, in this uh, epistle, the joy is only used once. But the idea runs through the entire letter. Um, we can't manufacture it ourselves. It's a byproduct of the fellowship with God. Uh, David mentions it in Psalm 1611. Uh, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, let's get into some of the interesting part real quick here. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So who is our? Okay. I kind of argued last week that it's the 
the group of apostles, mm -hmm. when he sort of references we, he's not necessarily saying we as all believers saw and, and heard and touched and all of these things. He's kind of, it seems that the we would indicate the apostles and that when he's speaking of this joy that's received and the fellowship that's received, it's fellowship, almost apostolic fellowship, the apostles fellowship with Christ, the whole church fellowships with the apostles and thereby. Yeah, and I but it could go either way. I and suppose. I and that's where I'm going. I think I think it's both. I think it's it's both and you know it's both and. Uh, the reason is is that first of all it is them, but then it's also the the tense of it is inclusive. Obviously, um, it's you know so it also would. Uh, what's one of the coolest things about being a part of God's body? is the fellowship of believers where? Everywhere. 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 <clears throat> and uh, John's joy would be then complete, so that's them as apostles, as he shares mutual fellowship with his readers, hearers. The may be complete, we have to understand that means permanently full. When we, so John's basically saying, when we have fellowship with you, our joy is full permanently. And he does speak of joy in all three of the letters. Jesus speaks of joy in relationship to his disciples three times. In all three examples, Jesus is concerned that the disciples' joy may be full. So that idea of full, complete, permanent. So uh, Christian joy, as we close here, is far more removed than what is commonly constructed in our world as happiness. And we've got to get that down. Um, happiness is dependent on what? External, yeah, external, circumstances. external circumstances. Happiness is dependent on external circumstances. Joy is what? Internal, eternal. eternal. You know, both. <laughs> it, it, you know, the Christian joy is 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 eternal. It's internal, obviously. It's deeper in meaning. Joy is the presence of Jesus in our lives. The word, going back through this whole verses 1 through 4, the word manifested to us. So joy describes a reality in life that's genuine, uh, genuine satisfaction uh, in all areas, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Joy changes everything. Joy is a, basically an understanding of supernatural strength that can only come from the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you go to 
many third world countries and you preach the gospel and you share life with the people that are in the churches there that are making a dollar or two a month, the first thing that you notice as an outsider, I'm just going to tell you, the first thing you notice is their joy. Because our culture is so wrapped up in stuff that it, it blows your mind to be in their presence. And, you know, when I, when I think about it, I tear up because it, I think every Christian in, in, in our area that, you know, we complain about everything. <laughs> it's like, the air conditioning is too cold. What? We're going to complain about, you know, and, you know, just, you know, that type of stuff. And, and you go into the, you know, a church where, you know, the closest air conditioning is maybe the next country over. <laughs> and they're there for four hours worshiping God together. And you just go, okay, I get it. I, I, I need to focus on the manifested eternal life from God through Christ, and, and that's where joy comes from. Um, the wisest and richest man who ever lived found that out. Uh, he sailed the high seas of life. He exhausted himself with every pleasure. And at the end of every paycheck that he ever made, the bottom of every bottle and the morning of every one night stand that he had, he told us in his memoirs, he told us what? Vanity. It's all vanity. Meaningless. Solemn. Only God can grant joy. I was reading today, uh, once again, the, uh, some of the last statements of Steve Job, um, you know, from Apple fame. I, I, I forgot that he was only 56 when he died. And if you want a rude awakening to how sad he was in life, Read some of his last statements. Because he's like basically saying the same thing as Solomon. I had everything and it means nothing. And the, the end of his memoirs, the book that was written about him, is one of the saddest things you'll ever read. And you, you, you sit there and as a believer, this is what it did for me. Um, it was, it reminded me of Solomon. And it reminded me of the vanity of life. 
And it reminded me that joy cannot be captured in any amount of stuff. And it reminded me of what it said in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's it. The crown of joy can only be worn by those who are adopted into the royal family of God through his son, Christ, and in this four-verse prologue, John summarizes God's revelation of Christ and in doing so, takes on all of the world's philosophies, really. You know, when he says, you know, we got the, we got the word of life, the word, you know, uh, this abstract thought in the Greek world and, and all of that. And for John, it's not abstract at all. This is personal. This is Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, the world says, well, maybe, you know, we can see God in creation and that's it. And John says, yeah, no, creation gives evidence, but who's the completion of all of it? Christ. In the Gnostic world, uh, the word is temporal and is just a vapor. And John unpacks the created eternal with the, with the Savior. Uh, God has given to the world the person of Jesus Christ. And we proclaim it. We proclaim it with everything we have. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Then... These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. It's uh, got a ton of stuff I didn't even bother to dive into uh, also in there. But uh, just a great, great uh, thing to be reminded of tonight. So let me pray for us and then uh, then we can hang out and, and share life together. Lord, I, I thank you for this time tonight.